serve a good God, amen? He is, he is drawing us into his presence in a special way. I hope that you will enjoy that and that you will engage him as he calls us to that this deeper place of worship. If you would, stand with me, please, and open your Bibles to the book of Revelation. We are in chapter 3, and we'll, we will begin reading in verse 14. Revelation 3 and verse 14. And um, it is the last official book in your Bible, in case you weren't sure. That's what Revelation is. If you have a concordance, it's before the concordance. It's before the maps and all that good stuff. Amen. Uh, just trying to help you out, just trying to help you out. When you got it, say so. And it says, unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot, I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see as many as I love I rebuke and chasten therefore be zealous and repent behold I stand at the door and knock If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. God, we thank you. We thank you for the mercy that you have shown us. We are here today and even online because you have shown us mercy. You have not left us to our own devices. And so thank you. Thank you for your mercy. God, may we be attentive to you today. May our minds and hearts be stayed on you today. Holy Spirit, may your voice be heard clearly. May the name of Jesus be glorified. May our hearts be compelled, convicted, drawn closer to you. And as a result of us being here today, may we be changed from glory to glory. And may we seek to please you in all that we do. We pray these things in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, amen. amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you do not have an outline, just raise your hand and the ushers will get you an outline. I want to be sure that you're able to follow along in the introduction and take some notes. And um, it's always good to take notes and you're also able to use that to share with others who uh, don't know what you know, didn't hear what you heard on Sunday. And if someone asks you that good question, how was your weekend? Say it was great. I learned about a lukewarm church. Hello. Let me tell you about it. Glory to God. Let's have a conversation about what that looks like. So today we are dealing with the final of the seven churches. As you see in the, in the, the video that we put on the book of Revelation, the reason why I want to continue to play that video is because I don't want us to ever forget who it is that God is speaking to directly and immediately. God is speaking immediately in the context to seven churches 
churches in Asia Minor. And this one is the seventh of those churches that he communicates with. And if you look at your outline, we've looked at six churches already. Four of those have been called to repentance. Each of them was praised and two of them, they were not called to repentance, but they were called to persevere and they were not rebuked. However, I want you to notice something about the church of the Laodiceans. This final of the seven churches is not praised, which makes the rebuke even harsher. Because he didn't start out, you know how we talked about it in, in the other weeks? He would, it was almost like God was, you know, Jesus was buttering them up before he laid the smack down, right? For the church of the Laodiceans, he did not do any buttering up. He simply introduces himself and then he says to them, I know your works. And then he goes on to rebuke them. I want to give you a little bit of, a little bit of history. This is the last of the seven churches. So I don't have one, one picture for you. I got six. Hallelujah. Glory to God. There was a, there was a lot of material for the, 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 the area of Laodicea because they've done a lot of digging and, and it was a, it was a big city. And so there's a lot to see, but just to look at some stuff. And this is in your outline here. Um, Laodicea was a pretty important church or a pretty important city. Should I say it was 40 miles southeast of Philadelphia. So just to give you some context, from Oviedo to Disney is about 30-something miles. So you're looking at a pretty long distance between here and there, right? So that's that, That's pretty far away from Philadelphia. You know, sometimes when we see it on the map, like you'll see in a moment, it you know, we think, oh, it's 40 miles. Maybe, you know, we can't put it, at least in my head, I don't really put it all together like that. Uh, they were that far from Ephesus. The, they were the last of the seven churches addressed with a special message directly to them. They were on the river Lycus on the border of Phrygia near Colossae and Herapolis. Now, this is important. This is important. So you can see it there that they are sitting here. So this is Laodicea is there, the big circle, and you have Herapolis and you have Colossae. And this is going to be important as we move forward in the message. So just keep that in mind. Um, they were the recipient of two letters by Paul. So you first hear about this church in the book of Colossians where Paul is speaking to Epaphras. And so they're communicated to there by the apostle Paul. Um, they were on a great trade route from Ephesus to the east. They were, um, and they had a seat of large. They were big for manufacturing and banking operations, especially of woolen carpets and clothing. And so Ramsey, um, this is from the book Cities and Bishoprics of Phrygia. And so uh, you can see this next picture here is of the Agora. This is one of five, one of five assembly places. So they would meet there. They would, you know, have assembly, but they would also do different things. They would sell stuff there. And so this is how big the city was. You see, that's pretty big. They didn't have one. They had five of these areas. This city is a big, big city, very important, which is the reason why it sp spoke of the church about being so wealthy. They were also the center of worship of the God that we talked about in Pergamum, uh, of, of the God, Asclepius. And so this is a, another picture, and this one is actually of one of their temples. And this temple was utilized in order to worship many different deities, and it ultimately ended up being the place where they did their emperor worship. They worshiped there uh, in that place. This uh, th That was a pagan temple there again, and it was a seat. And if you remember um, with, with, with Pergamum, there was a medical school there. There was the same type of medical school here. Uh, they were all, also a provincial a, a pro provincial court and they were uh, for Cicero. He lived there. He wrote many of his letters there. It was home of many Jews. It was called by Ramsey. Listen to this, the city of compromise, the city of compromise, the church here founded apparently by Epaphras again in the book of Colossians chapter one and verse seven and chapter four and verse 12 would lead us to that understanding. And there were now this, this city is deserted, ruined. And it, uh, one of six cities in that area was called by this name. And the meaning of the, of the name is justice of the people. Now I want you to know that when you read the book, uh, when you read this letter, to the church of the Laodiceans, it seems like they actually repented. And the reason why you're going to see in a moment, because when they've, they've dug up in this city, they have found the remains there. They found like 20 churches that they found within this city. 
The, the, the city continued to thrive for a while. And so the next picture that we have here is the remains of a house church there, a place where they would worship one of the 20 that they found that was a house church. There was another one. I don't have a picture of it, but they found a house. So when you think of a house church, right, you think of something probably like a quarter of this, like you think of a little balcony or something where people worship. That's not what a house church was back then. I mean, you got to think about like the upper room was 120 people. That was a house church. So just kind of get that in. For, you know, reference in your mind when you're looking at that. They found one house that was literally 20,000 square feet that was that had rooms all in it and a place of worship, uh, a center of worship there. And so this place was was pretty big. Um, this fifth photo that I have there, this is one of the largest churches that was found there. And you can see there, so they're restoring this, they're putting this back together. If you ever go to that area and if you ever want to take me with you, I'd love to see this. But I, I think I, I'm definitely going. I don't know if we're going to go together, but I'm definitely, this is, this is for sure on my bucket list. And I want to go and see all of these areas, especially this one here. Just beautiful. And then the last picture is of this thing in the middle there, I think is actually a baptismal that was there, um, that was left that, that, that they found there. So, um, there's one more picture. There you go. So there, there's a baptismal. So they were into dunking people back then too. Hallelujah. <laughs> They didn't just sprinkle folks. They actually had water. They actually immersed people in water. And so, you know, if you need to be baptized, you know, we believe in that. We don't have a baptismal here at this moment, but we can get you ready for our baptism that is coming up. Nonetheless, I show you all of this just so you can see how big this city is. Just the remains of this city show us so much of the importance. The city, again, continued on for a while. There was repentance in this church, and then now it's just a place of ruins. And sadly... What you see there is you see the remains of what were churches, but now there's no, there's barely any Christians in that area of the world. Did you hear what I just said? There is barely a remembrance other than stones that are overturned that show that there was a church there. Because there wasn't a giving in to God in hearing his word. And so in America right now, we seem to be just amazing. Everything is good, right? Whatever. Anyway, we seem to be in this great place and prosperity and everything. And, and so some people think that the church of the Laodiceans is actually prophetic, pointing to the last church that is going to be present before the return of Jesus. I think maybe that's, to me, contextually, that's not it. There's an actual church there. However, if you look at this through prophetic eyes, the church, at least in some areas, seems like this church. And I don't know about you, but when I think about the ruins that are left there and all we can talk about is, well, this is what was there. They did worship there. When I look at where we are, church, we have to wake up. Church, we have to hear what the Spirit is saying to us. We cannot ignore what God is communicating, and we have to realize that he is still speaking to us today. We need to respond, or else we're just going to be a bunch of ruins like that. Will be a bunch of what was and what was there, and, you know, and, and, and instead of being a place where the glory of God is moving. To be lukewarm, think about this this morning. To be lukewarm is to be indifferent. To be indifferent is to be inconsequential. To be lukewarm is to be indifferent. I'm going to repeat this later on, right? But... To be lukewarm is to be just, I don't, I don't, really doesn't matter. You look at those things and it doesn't strike you in your heart like, man, that could be us. To be lukewarm is to be indifferent and to be indifferent is to be inconsequential, to be inconsequential, to not even matter. When you go over there, it's, it looks beautiful, good remembrance. We can talk about it here, and we can celebrate the fact that they did so much in this city of Laodicea, and yet, 
That's all it is. It's just a far away memory. It is inconsequential that the church even existed there. I don't want that to be us. And you know what? More importantly than what I want, because what I want really doesn't matter, but obviously Jesus doesn't want us to be inconsequential. Jesus wants us to matter in the world in which we live. That's the reason why in church, I'm, I'm guilty of this and I have repented of this and I will continue to fight the urges. That is the reason we cannot be influenced by the world, but we need to be sure that we are allowing God's word to influence our world through us. We cannot get caught up in the things that are going on and overwhelmed by them. We must look at them and pray for sure and speak. Hear me now. We must speak prophetically to the world in which we live. We must declare God's word to the world in which we live. And when I say that, I don't mean like just start shouting at the world. I'm talking about in conversations that you are having with people that you are engaging with. Bring God's word to bear in their lives. God has inspired his word for for us to communicate it. This world needs God's word. This world needs to be influenced by a church that is walking in purity and in the power of the spirit of God. The first thing I want to ask you to repeat after me is this, say the Lord sees and calls things as they really are. The Lord sees it clearly and he calls things like they are. Listen, he's not trying to make you feel good or trying to make you feel bad. He is the amen. This is what he says when he introduces himself. He says unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, right? These things says the amen. The word amen there is one of the words that has been translated probably the best in so many different languages. It's almost universal. No matter what language amen is there, they translated it almost exactly from Hebrew to Greek. And so this word is important. What does the word amen mean? Usually when we think of the word amen, we think of it at the end of a prayer. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Or at the end of the reading, the, the way the tradition happened is that someone would read a text and then the people would say, Amen. hallelujah. So from now on, when I read the Bible, you say, Amen, Amen. hallelujah. <laughs> because what we were saying was, let it be so. So be it. Yes, let it be. But in the beginning of a sentence, you could use amen as well. And what that would mean, it would be awkward for us. But what it would mean is surely, truly, verily. In other words, I'm serious about what I'm saying. Jesus is the amen. He is the first voice and the last voice. He is the one, and he goes on to communicate. He says that he is the faithful and true witness. He is the faithful and true witness. Why are we able to sing the song that we sang today, that there's nothing, there, there's nothing like him, that we can cast all of our cares on him, that we can surrender to him? You know why? Because he is faithful. He is true he doesn't change. He doesn't waver. He is faithful and true. He is a trustworthy voice and judge. Did you hear that? He is a trustworthy voice and judge. And he goes on and he says, and he is the beginning of the creation of God. Not that Jesus is a created being, but beginning as in the origin of the creation of God. He is the creator God. That is who Jesus is saying that he is. So if you take it all together, what does it mean? It means that Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation, the author and finisher of our faith. And he communicates to them. And what does he say? He says, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were hot or cold. I want you to know this. God doesn't owe us praise for our works. Let me say it again. God does not owe us praise for our works. I, I, I know you like the pat on the back. I know. I like it too. You like to be told, hey, man, that was a great job. Hey, I appreciate you. You're, you know, y'all might have heard the video. I know this is probably not politically correct, but whatever. Um, you know, there, there's, a, there, there's a lady. She is talking about, I don't feel appreciated. <laughs> 
And then she goes on, and so, you know, every time that, you know, I've, I want to be funny, and, and, and I know that my wife or my daughter, you know, they're the ones that showed it to me, so I obviously don't show appreciation. I'm like, I appreciate you. You are appreciated. That's how she was saying it. So anyway, <laughs> we all want to be appreciated. Amen? Amen? Every one of us wants to be appreciated. You know, you cook something for someone, you do something for someone, you want somebody to say, thank you, I appreciate that. But I want you to know something. God doesn't owe you anything. Now, because he's loving and he's gracious, you know what he does? He'll walk in on you, glory to God. What do you mean he'll walk in? I mean, he'll walk in on you. You'll be in the midst of serving him. I don't remember where it was in, in, in the service. At some point, I think, I, I, I'm not sure, but, you know, uh, talking about living worship. Let, let, let our worship cry. I think Roly was sharing something that effect. You know, you know you're crying out in worship when you love your spouse. You know that, right? Oh, I got three yeses. Hallelujah. You know you're crying out in worship when you are raising your kids in righteousness, when you are pointing your children to the Lord. You know you are crying out in worship when you are loving on your neighbor. That, that, that's the cry out that is there, saying, God, I worship you. God, I adore you. God, I'm sorry. When you do these things, when you serve in ministry, whatever it is, you are crying out to God in worship. You are saying, I love you. And you know what God does? He walks up on you sometimes. And you sense his love and his embrace. You sense his approval. He does that because he's good, not because he owes you it. We owe him everything. And so our works are supposed to be to him. As a matter of fact, even though he doesn't owe us praise for our works, we should always seek to be praiseworthy in our works. We should always seek to do works with the right heart, with the right intention, to the best of our ability in order that we are saying, God, I'm doing this for you. I'm not doing this for anybody else. I'm not doing this for anyone else's approval. I am doing this because you are God. The Laodicean, the, the Laodicean church, it wasn't that they weren't working, is that there was something wrong with their works. And Jesus wasn't just looking at their works. He was looking at the condition of their heart. He was looking at something else that was going on because what does he want to do? He wasn't just looking at their performance. He wasn't saying, well, you guys are performing well. Because you know what the Laodiceans, this was a church, I can assure you, and you'll see it in a moment, they were a wealthy church. You saw, you saw what I just showed you over here? Now, I'm not saying any of those things were there at the time that the Laodicean church was there, but I can assure you there was wealth in that city. And that means everybody in the city, including the church, was wealthy. So they probably had some nice looking stuff. Now, mind you, they didn't have sound equipment like us. You know what I'm talking about? They didn't have lights like we have, but they had some nice pillars, right? That, that, that one 20,000 square foot home that they found. I mean, they had this, uh, this, uh, this, this like porch area that had, I think what I counted was like, like eight pillars in there. And that's where they gathered to worship. Beautiful type of stuff that was there. They had all of that. And yet he said, man, I'm not looking at your performance. I'm not looking at those things. There's something wrong. Your works are neither cold nor hot, which brings us to this question. So is cold bad and hot good? Look what he says to them. I know your works that you are neither. And remember, he didn't just say your works are neither. Look what he says. You are neither cold nor hot. Our works proceed from us. You are neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot. Now, I want you to know what the answer to the question is, you know, cold, bad, is hot, good. It depends on the context. Because the book of Matthew tells us what? It says, because sin will abound, the love of many will do what? Wax cold. And so fervor for the Lord is, it would be symbolic. You look up the word, it has to do with heat, right? It, it's, it's something that is hot. However, when you read it here, and I got, I got to give credit. I, I thank Minister Jonathan who, who boldly preached through this text some time ago. And as he was proclaiming this text, I started to listen to what he was saying. I started to read the pages of the book and I, and, and the words on, I was like, wait a second. This is, this is not cold is bad. Hot is good. Now, remember I told you about Herapolis and and Colisee, right? Remember I told you to keep those two plays in mind? Well, what happened was, and if you were here, Mr. Jonathan preaches, I just took his notes. That's what I did on this part. I'll let you know right now. And no shame in the game. He did the homework. I thought it was good to go. I said, amen, glory to God. 
If you weren't listening to him, then just act like this the first time. Even if you heard him, act like this the first time you heard it. Glory to God. But from Colossae, from the river Lycus, there was cold water that used to get pumped into Laodicea. And so the water would start off cold, nice and cold and good. And you know, like, think about when you run. Some of you are like, no, I don't run. <laughs> like me, I don't think about when I'm running, right? I'm like, that's never something I think about. But anyway, think about when you are parched, right? You are, I mean, you're in Florida, so you are parched plenty. Hello. Now, let me ask you a question. What do you prefer? Do you prefer a bottle of water that is like lukewarm and room temperature? I'm not talking about like normal. I like lukewarm, lukewarm you know, room temperature water for sure. It's better for your voice, especially when you're speaking, singing, things like that. But when I am outside doing something, you know what I want? Cold water. Because you know what it does? Y'all are feeling that water right now? You're like, man, I wasn't even thirsty. Now I'm thirsty. I want some cold water. Cold water is good in the right situation, is it not? See, you got to remember, Jesus is using pictures of things that are happening, that are going on, that they're going to be able to relate to. You look at Jesus' parables, they always dealt with what? They dealt with things that people were actually seeing. He's like, hey, you know, you think about the sower. You remember the story of the sower that Jesus goes, the parable of the sower who sows the seed in different places? Well, you know what the people of God were able to understand from that parable? They remembered the guy who had the little sack with the seeds who was walking around throwing seed and they were like oh so that's what was happening there was some seed falling here some seed they saw that the same thing here you are neither cold nor hot you are neither cold nor hot and then there is this other place Herapolis their water there they had these hot springs and the water came in to Laodicea but you know what the problem is when that hot water comes in and and I realized this right that this was not in your nose Jonathan I'm just going to throw that out there right you did say medicinal, but here's the thing. I realize this. When you are going to do surgery, do you use cold water to, you know, purify an instrument or something like that? How about your dishwasher? I forget who it was. Somebody was telling me about a dishwasher. They were having dishwasher issues. They were like, man, this dishwasher wasn't getting hot. Why does that matter? You need hot water, don't you, to disinfect the stuff to clean the stuff, right? Like when I grew up, like you, when you, I learned to wash dishes, it wasn't with cold water. It was like hot water. Come on now. Burning your hands, glory to God. <laughs> but you knew, you knew that those things you were cleaning were going to be clean because of the hot water, right? The hot water. So there was a medicinal value that would have come from these hot springs, this water, potentially. But you know what would happen by the time the cold water got to Laodicea and the hot water got to Laodicea? You know what it was? Lukewarm. <laughs> so you had to make it cold or you had to make it hot again. That was what was neat. If you were going to use it for anything other than maybe, maybe taking a bath, right? I don't know. Anyway, I like hot showers too, but that's another story. Depending on the day, depending on the day. But what does he say to us? He says this to the church of Laodicea. That's why I believe the context matters. He says, because you are neither, look what he says. So then, because you are lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Words matter. Because you are neither cold nor hot. He would rather that they were either cold, that they were uh, able to bring refreshing to those souls that needed refreshment, or that they were hot and they were able to bring healing to those souls that needed healing, but they were lukewarm. They were inconsequential. They didn't matter in the city where they were because they were just chilling. Church. We are supposed to bring refreshing to lives, are we not? We are supposed to bring healing to lives. That is what our call and the mandate of God that is on our lives is for. He says, I will vomit you out. What does it mean to live lukewarm? To live lukewarm, it means to live without conviction. Come on now. 
It means to live without passion for God's presence. It means to live without a commitment to the gospel or its mission. To be lukewarm is to be an incubator for spiritual disease, which will contaminate the bride God is purifying. Let me say that again. To be lukewarm is to be an incubator for spiritual disease, which will contaminate the bride that God is purifying. God's warning to the church is a warning of love. What is the spiritual disease? The spiritual disease is indifference. Remember I said that earlier? The spiritual disease is indifference. It is not, listen, it's being indifferent about sin. It's not even caring about sin. It's, it's, it's things not even mattering when you see sin in your life. You know, it's, it's just, you know what? The grace of God. There is no radical pursuit of holiness. There is no radical pursuit of surrender to God. There is no radical pursuit to say, God, I need your grace, not just to feel good about myself, but to overcome the sin that is tripping me up, the sin that is causing me to make you look bad, the sin that is making others say, man, does that person really follow Jesus? an indifference to personal sin, but it's also an indifference to the sins of others. Yesterday, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to delete it because I, man, I can't, I'm just over it. I'm so tired of it. So, you know, America's got talent. Second, you know, the second um, show or whatever, we're sitting down there, we're watching this thing. And I, and I noticed there's like this little group of girls. I'm not really paying attention because I was on my computer doing something. Josiah was really paying attention. But I was sitting there in front of the TV, and I noticed that there, these little girls, there's, there, I, I, and I, I'm going to be honest, we fast-forwarded through it. I wasn't paying attention enough. I didn't dig into it for you. But this is what they did. They called out a woman. Hey, our instructor is, and it was a woman, or so you thought. It was a drag queen who was teaching these kids to dance. Ladies, let me tell you something. I don't need a drag queen to, to, to teach our kids how to dance. You can do it just well. Hello. Men, if you decide to do that, that's fine. You can do that as well. You don't need to dress up in a costume. Hello. But, you know, but hey, hey, to each his own. Really? To each his own. Okay, so what about these kids? These kids are thinking that that's normal. It's not normal. It's not okay. Listen, I want you to hear this. That person may not ever admit this and may not ever realize this, but that person that is cross-dressing, they are broken inside. There is something that needs to be healed. There is something that needs to be delivered. But my friends, if we keep normalizing sin, if we stay lukewarm when it comes to the sins that we do and the sins of others, guess what? There is no healing because there is no problem. When we are lukewarm, what do we do? Nothing, because it's their sin. Wait a second. Remember the city? Oh, it was everybody else's sin. They were okay in their comfort. Church, we need to wake up. That's one dumb example. That's a show that is, you know, pushing propaganda and doing all they can in order to indoctrinate those who are there. Oh, there's no, oh, there is an agenda. Why do you think they tell you the story? It's not enough that a person is talented. You got to know all about their struggles so you can. I know this is tough preaching. But church, we cannot be lukewarm. Those things have to break our hearts. Not just because I want to point a finger at someone. Not because I want to say they're in sin. Because they need a savior. So when the church is lukewarm, we're inconsequential because we don't care about sin. We're indifferent to God's holiness as well. We're indifferent to God's presence. God's presence doesn't matter. Oh, we're going to pray. Okay, I'll get there after prayer is done. We're going to worship. It doesn't, that really doesn't matter. Do I need to be part of? No, wait, 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 wait a second. Wait, time out, time out. God's presence has to matter. But when you're indifferent, it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't really, it, it's not really a big thing for you or me. He says, I will vomit you out. Those are strong words. 
lukewarmness makes God sick. It disgusts him. He is not okay with it. He is not okay with us dabbling in sin. He is not okay with us ignoring his righteous standards. Leaders of the homes, my brothers, lead with courage. Lead with holiness. Lead your spouse, lead your children, lead your grandkids, lead, lead, lead. Don't cower. Ladies, you're leaders as well. Don't forget that. And some of you are single women and you're leading a family. Lead with conviction. Lead by the scriptures. Don't let the culture lead you. Don't leave your kids to themselves to figure it out on their own. They're going to be deceived. I don't know about you, but I don't want my kids to be deceived. Second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say successful Successful. self-reliance is one of the worst judgments of God. Successful self-reliance is one of the worst judgments of God. Look at verse 17 with me. It says, because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. These people were successful. This was, this city was so wealthy. This, this, this happened. Uh, I don't remember. I don't remember the exact date. I'm not really good on history dates. That's like, ah, but anyway, there was an earthquake that happened in this city and Laodicea destroyed the city. And because the city was so wealthy, they didn't need any help from outside. They rebuilt themselves. That's a pretty rich city because you know, every single thing that happens here, we got to call FEMA. Hello. (laughs) Come on now. Be for real. (laughs) We, we need a grant for this. We're going we're gonna to plant trees in Oviedo. We need, a, we need a tree grant. Hello. Seriously? Come on now. I know the taxes I pay in Oviedo. Glory to God. Amen. Amen. Don't get me on that. Don't get me on that. <laughs> we're going to do anything. What do we need? I mean, you, we, we don't, we, we're not self-sufficient in cities and towns. Not at all. This city, psh, we don't need your help. We're good. We got this. We're going we're gonna to rebuild everything on our own. This was a wealthy city. See, here's what happens to us. Natural securities can blind us to our spiritual bankruptcy. Natural security. Oh, I mean, I'm getting promoted at work. I'm making that paper. Come on now. Hmm. House is good. Wife is good. Husband's good. Kids are good. Dog is good. Hallelujah. Everything is good. Everything is firing on all cylinders. And I'm not, listen, we should want that, but don't let that blind you to the bankruptcy of your spirit. That's the problem when you have some type of affluence is that you end up thinking, well, hey, I'm okay. Everything is all right. There's no trial. There's no hardship. So I must be okay. And yet you can have all of that. And Jesus says, you are wretched. You are filthy. You are naked. You are poor. You are blind. You don't even see that you are bankrupt spiritually. He speaks to their true condition. They Listen, those are strong words. Let's hear them again. Wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. You think you're okay, don't you? You think you're good. You rebuilt that city. You got, you're part of that city. You're part of that place where everybody wants to live. You're part of that place where everybody wants to be. They, they want to get in there and have, you know, be part of the sales. They, they want to be part of what's going on. And he says to them, you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, naked. What he was saying to them is you are bankrupt. What's the solution to their bankruptcy? What is it? It is a gospel exchange. What does he go on to tell them? In verse 18, he says, I counsel you 
to buy from me gold refined in the fire. Now, I just want you to pause. Hold your place there in the book of Revelation because we're coming back. Go to the book of Isaiah chapter 55. I want you to see this because when I talk about this gospel exchange, I want you to see the words of the prophet in the Old Testament who is speaking to the children of Israel about their situation and the state that they are in. Isaiah 55 and verse 1. When you got it, say so. All right, two people got it. I'll wait for you. I'll wait for you. Isaiah 55, verse 1. You got it? You got it? So, so. Isaiah's like in the middle of your Bible. Hallelujah. Amen. It's a big book, big book. You got it? All right, let's do it. Look what he says. Ho, everyone who thirst, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. What is he telling them? He's saying, listen, I've already made the purchase for you. You who have, listen, you can't buy. Hear me now. You and I can't buy God's blessing. You and I can't purchase what God has for us. We, when, when, when Jesus is saying, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, he's not saying like you can afford it. What he's saying it is that this is way beyond your pay grade. Are you here? All the riches you have, you can't buy gold that, the gold that I have. You can't get the, but, but he wants you to have real riches. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. What is that riches? That you will have real abundant life and white garments that you may be clothed and that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And so he tells him to buy white garments. Why? Because they made wool over there, but it was black. It wasn't this white purified thing. And so they were covering themselves in something that was less than they couldn't afford this. Jesus says, I want to give you something to clothe yourself with. And then the last thing he tells them is what? He says, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. Remember, they, were, they had a medical center there. They were known for this eye salve that they used to give when people had issues with their eyes and things like that. But you know what they could not do? They couldn't heal people's eyes. You know what Jesus says? You don't have this kind of eye salve, but I do. I have an eye salve that heals your blindness. I have an eye salve that will make you see clearly. I have an eye salve that will help you to understand what is righteous and what is unrighteous. It heals blindness. And what does it ultimately do? It frees us from the deception of sin. And here's what we have to know. This is what we have to know. We have to know this in the depth of our heart. Verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. As many as I love. You know why he sends this word to this church? Because he loves them. You know why he doesn't praise them for their works? And he jumps into rebuke of them? Because he loves them. You know why he doesn't pander to their desires and their... Because he loves them. He wants them to know you have issues and I have the solution. We have to know... That when we hear God's word as hard as his words are sometime, when we hear God's word as cutting as his words are sometime, we must always rest assured that it is his love for us that moves him in that direction. We can't forget that. I remember, you know, being younger. I only heard this a few times. My sisters, my brothers are here. We didn't hear this very often. I don't know. But some of your parents may have said this to you often. This is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. <laughs> my, 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 our beatings that I recall, and you guys may have got different ones than me, they were very syllable-ish, you know? What is wrong with... <laughs> it wasn't, this is going... It wasn't none of that. It wasn't none of that. It wasn't, it wasn't, you, you didn't get a preface to that whooping, right? <laughs> I'm not going to put anybody else out there. I'm just going to leave it there. I remember once, I won't tell you who did this to me, but it was someone I love dearly. You know, I, I had this mouth, right? If you can't tell, I like to talk. 
And it was something that was happening in our house. It was with a neighbor and the neighbor was talking with my grandmother, my mom. And, you know, I'm gonna throw them all in there. You don't know which one did this, but I kept talking. And, you know, they looked at me and they were like, okay, yeah, okay. And they, they told the neighbor, you know, thank you so much. And we're going to be good. No warning. Whack! <laughs> they were probably saying, this felt good. It didn't hurt me at all. Y'all are like, Bishop, are you promoting child abuse? No, I am not promoting child abuse. Glory to God. I give the warning. This is going to hurt you more than it's going to hurt me. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes it just happens. Glory to God. You've met my son. Amen. The third thing, the third thing, the third thing that I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, God's love should be the greatest motivation of our devotion to him. His love should be the greatest motivation because when he rebukes us, when he calls us to repentance, it's not just our sin that should motivate us to do right or the consequence of our sin. It should be the magnitude of his love toward us. What do the scriptures say? The scripture says it is the goodness of God that turns us to repentance. That's what, that's what the scripture says. As I was thinking about that text, I was like, man, the goodness of God is actually terrifying. Oh, what do you mean? It's because God isn't like this old guy with a long beard and a cane up in heaven saying, all right, Sonny. Come on, Sonny, just do right. Come on, daughter, I love you, you know. He's not some weak impotent okay I can't hear you deaf God whose arm is arthritic and he can't grab a hold of you but he is seated on a throne in glory he is surrounded by elders and by these beasts that you and I can't even comprehend. The seraphim are around him that their voice is so, you think I'm loud. The seraphim are so loud that when one cries to the other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. The temple uh, shakes because of the power behind these beings and they bow to our God. This God that is good to us is one who at any moment could smite us and we are gone. And yet he allows us to talk back. He allows us to question him. He allows us to sin against him. He allows us to rebel against him. He allows us to blaspheme his name. That is a good God. And that goodness is what turns us to repentance. Because when we realize all that he could do and that he does not, my goodness, you better be bowing before his greatness. And saying, Lord, thank you for your mercy that I am so unworthy of because I am deserving of your wrath. I am deserving not to breathe another breath. I am deserving to be six feet under for sure with no hope and no help. And you... Oh, you have rescued me. You have been merciful to me. He calls us not to be lukewarm because he loves us. Because he doesn't want to judge us with the world. He doesn't want us to experience his wrath. He wants us to experience his mercy and his goodness. Verse 19 as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Don't play. Don't wait for tomorrow. Don't wait until no one's watching. Don't wait until, no, no, be zealous. Move now. Repent of your sin because of his love. 
It's funny because the word that is used there for love is a different word. It's not the typical word you would think. The typical word when you talk about God's love is the word agapeo, which is that unconditional love that is his devoted love to us because of who he is, right? That's, that's the word you would think it is. But the word for love here is actually the word phileo, which is not that, that word. You remember the conversation that Jesus and Peter had? Remember that conversation at the end of the gospel of John where Jesus is like, Peter, do you love me? He said, Peter, do you agapeo me? And Peter responded, I phileo you. Two times he answered like that. The third time he's like, Lord, you know. And Jesus is communicating his phileo love, his tender affection. It's not, it's a love that he pours on you. It's a love that he shows toward you. Oh, because he's so merciful and good. Because he wants, listen, he wants the church to know he is devoted to them. Not just out of duty, not just because he has to, because he is agapeo. He is love. Nope, nope, not just because of that, you know, because we get mixed up sometimes. Well, God's got to love because he's love. No, no, no. He's, he's not showing that love here. He's saying, I have an affection toward you. I actually, and it's funny because the worst church is the one that gets this affection. Hello. Think about that. The worst church the, the, the one that got rebuked the harshest, that's the one that he says, I love you in a different kind of way. I phileo. You see, we have to realize this, that God's love, God's love is covenantal. He's a covenant-keeping God. His love is strong. His love is unbreakable. That does not mean that his wrath will not come. Hear me now. He is going to do everything he can to rescue you from your sin. He's going to do everything he can to shake you in your seat where you are right now because he does not want to judge you because he loves you. The question is, how are you going to respond to him? What does he go on to say? He says to them, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Now, a lot of times people want to use this as a way of like salvation. He's talking to the people that are already saved. This is worse. This is people that already know Jesus, apparently. And he's saying, hey, y'all locked me out. Y'all locked me out. Y'all left me outside. You ever done that? When Josiah was like three years old one time, he walked out the garage. We didn't know that he walked out the garage because he's so quick. <laughs> and all of a sudden we hear a knock at the door and screaming. And he's like, we're like, what, how did you get out there? <laughs> but Jesus is there. Church, is he knocking on your heart? Have you locked him out? Is he knocking and saying, hey, I want to come in? In that area of your life, in that area of your home, in that area of your family, is he knocking saying, hey, is someone going to answer me? I am calling you. Are you hearing me? I he knocks at the door and he is there and he says, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I have overcome and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Jesus knocks on the door of our heart awaiting our response, not because he's some rickety old man, but because he is a gracious God that does not want to lay the smack down on you. Not because he can't bust the door down. Understand this. He, he didn't even got to bust the door down. He could just walk through. He did that to his disciples. Hello. While he was on earth, he walked in the room. He appeared to them. He didn't need access to the, No, but what he does as a gentleman as a loving, gracious bridegroom doesn't bust in the room on his bride, he does what? Will you open? Will you let me in? 
He says he'll eat with you. So what does he want to do? He doesn't want to judge, he doesn't want to judge you. He wants to commune with you. He wants to spend time with you. He wants you to spend time in his presence. He says, for him who overcomes, I will let them sit on the throne with me. He wants to give us authority. He doesn't want to judge us. This is his grace toward us. He wants to give us, we don't deserve that authority. We have not earned that authority, but he wants to give it to us because he is gracious. Here's my closing question for you. Have you allowed yourself to become lukewarm, meaning indifferent, meaning inconsequential? Have you allowed yourself to become lukewarm? I ask you to just bow your head right where you are. I ask you to let God search your heart right where you are. You've heard him speaking because he has been speaking. Are you indifferent to sin? Are you indifferent to his goodness? Are you indifferent to who he is? Do you know that he's knocking on your heart today? Here's what I know, is that when someone is knocking on the door, in order for you to respond, you've got to get up. And so in this place today, if you know that the Lord is knocking on your heart, you know that he is calling you out of being lukewarm, And you say, God, I want to open that door to you today. I'm just going to ask you to stand right where you are in this place. And let him in. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, God Almighty. Jesus, we hear you knocking. And we do not, we do not want to ignore you. Thank you for joining us. We hope you were blessed, encouraged, and challenged to walk out your faith this week. If you would like to give to support our ministry, you can in the following ways. Thank you for the ways you support us. God bless, and we hope to see you next Sunday.